Hey everybody, Eric Kasloff here with his good buddy Larry Sands, and we're here today to tell you about our sponsors, Anchor.fm. Larry, tell the good people more about Anchor. Well, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. They give you everything you need all in one place for free. How much? That's free. Are you serious? Yeah, it's free, and you can use it right from your phone or your computer. They give you the creation tools. They allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. And we're talking Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, even freaking Spotify, man. You could be listening to Abbey Road and then wonder, hey, I wonder who Eric and Larry talked to this week. Then, bam, we're busting in your ears just like the Fab Four. The best part about all this, you can easily make money from your podcast. Hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that these fine folks at Anchor are going to give you the tools you need to make your podcast and then help you get paid for it? Absolutely. All you have to do is download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something Podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and with me, as always, is Larry Sands. Say hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. It never gets old, right? Never gets old. The joke never gets old. I know, I know. I, 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 again, I'm, I'm your Ed McMahon. Totally. Yeah, I think we would have made a great vaudeville act. I mean, <laughs> say hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. Why you? <laughs> so, Larry, I hear you're the manager of a baseball team. I am. Well, you know. Oh yeah, no, I am. See, I'd be horrible. I'd be like, what? You're like, you no, would that's be our- horrible at this. For, <laughs> forget what I said. We are not going to be a vaudeville team. Right. What, what's, what's Jay-Z say? Oh, grand opening, grand closing <laughs> that night. <laughs> they kick us out. All right. So, Larry, how has your crazy life been in the past few days? Uh, crazy. Oh, wait, you already said that. No, you know, it's been crazy. You know, back, back in Texas – uh, got back, uh, let's see, last week, we took a uh, tour of the west uh, west of the Rockies because we came up uh, Route 66 through Flagstaff. Oh, and I've we, always wanted to travel down Route 66, but I want to do it like the show. I, oh, want, <laughs> I want that Corvette. You know what? We need to do a Kickstarter like that. We really hey, listen, listen, listen. We want you guys to give us money just so we could go driving. We're, and we're not the radio. anything. We just want your money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Eric, you're not supposed to say that. You're oh. good. never mind. Whatever. But no, man, everything is good. Um, let's see. You back at work, which is always good, making money. Um, That's always can we can we talk about what we were talking about before we came on air? Which was about your script? Oh yeah, um, as of right now, I am about to submit Hillsborough Road to <laughs> the script to Hillsborough Road to a bunch of film festivals. Mm-hmm. I'll be doing a video on my YouTube channel about why I'm doing this, nice. and the main reason is is to get buzz going. A lot of them are in October, so hopefully, I'll get into at least. Two of them, then I could, you know, when we start approaching people, we can be like, hey, this film was selected by right 
to exactly. film festivals or so on, would you be interested? You know, and actually, I think this this would be like really cool topic to talk about too. Is um, whether to go for one big film festival or uh, all like a bunch of little ones? And I say little ones, you know that. I don't mean to, you know, not insulting them, but let's be honest. The, I loved being in the Brightside Tavern Film Festival. It was the very first one. Her name was Samantha got into, but yep. you compare that to a Sundance or a slam, slam dance. The yeah. Brightside Tavern is a smaller film festival, you know? Oh, yeah. There's yeah, well, in, in sports, you know, there's the New York Yankees. Then there's the Milwaukee Bluers. Fine baseball team, the Milwaukee Brewers, but you're not going to see people in Japan wearing Milwaukee Brewers baseball caps. Right. They're going to see a lot of Yankee ones. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, it it is funny because uh, I just got, you know, it's um, our last guest was Melissa, right? Um, and Sean's episode went up and up. Yeah, Sean, you know, one thing that, uh, all our guests, and this impresses me a lot and gives me like inspiration. All our guests have regular day jobs. Um, but then once they finish their day job, they have their, their really passionate creative job. Um, and you know, we've been really lucky to talk to uh, a lot of our guests that have that have been passionate both about what they do in the uh, the real world. I'm quoting air quotes right yeah. in the real world, right, and putting that same passion into creativity. Um, yes, and and tonight's guest is is he he is. How should I put this? A great example of that. Yeah, but I don't think he ever sleeps. I think <laughs> is from what I. Uh, um, uh, well, first of all, uh, our our guest this week he is an attorney, he is a writer, he's an author, and then he also owns a publishing company. Wow! And I'm 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 super excited because um, to talk a lot about the publishing company uh, that he's got and how, how that got started. Cause I know a lot of people out there, they want to get beyond just having this project. Well, okay. Let, let's just bring him on. Okay, everybody. I'd like to introduce our guest this week, Perry. Hi, Perry. How are you doing? Hi, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. <laughs> Thank you, Eric and Larry. I appreciate it. This is really fun. I've enjoyed the first 10 minutes really good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I tell you, let's, let's get right into this. So Perry, where are you? Um, so you're a, an attorney, correct? I, I am 38 years and for eight years, 38 years, 38 Whoa. years. I was going to say for eight years, <laughs> 38 years. What? And I've always kind of wondered about this. What? What do you need to have um, to sustain being an attorney for 38 years? You have to like that, that little narrow area of the law that you practice, and that's the key. You don't try to 
do all things to everybody for everyone. You don't try to practice family law and um, or, or something else that's very sophisticated. You stick with a very narrow industry and you focus on that and you will like, you'll never get tired of it. Wow. And that's just great advice for any career or a profession, you know, find that, find your niche and just stick to it till you're the best at it or, you know, till you know it better than anybody. That's exactly it. Cause then you're not working. I'm not working. I like working all day long cause it's not work. It's, it's fun. Work becomes play in a sense. Yeah. So really play. There is no play. Work is more fun than play. <laughs> That's excellent. That's uh, now, um, I, that is a great, because as a filmmaker, I, in my point of view, um, and Eric, you may, may think different, but I think as a filmmaker, you have to know every, see, unlike, unlike what you just said, it's very true that a filmmaker, a director should stay in his lane or, you know, an editor producer. But I think as an indie filmmaker, and I don't know if there's such thing as indie lawyers, but, but as a filmmaker, you kind of need to know how to do it all, at least when you start. And then when you hit like Steven Spielberg, you can just be like, nah, go move that cord. Right. Or well, whatever. That's true. It, like president of a corporation needs to know every job in that company. Exactly. That's all you're doing there. That's, that's focusing. Ooh, so I'm what close. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you know, you can't be a doctor or a, or some other profession really at the same time. You're going to have to pick and choose. Yep. You have to pick what you want to be. It's, yeah. Yeah. Especially as a lawyer, I can, I can only imagine. Um, let's talk about, see on the show, we always talk about like how, how everybody got their start or what was their inspiration. Um, and I know you're an author, right? So what came first? Was it, was it wanting to be a lawyer or wanting to be a writer or another creative type? When you I were knew I, well, I knew I liked writing because I was writing it when I was in middle school. And then when I got to college, I didn't know I was going to go to law school. Although I was attracted to law. I wrote on the newspaper staff at a college that did not have a journalism degree. Oh. And I liked doing that for three Where years. Where did you go to college? It was Texas Wesleyan University. Okay. And I, I did a lot of features every week. And you got paid. And you know how we had no money in college. It was a great little job. And so I liked writing and I liked writing before that. And then I, then I decided to go to law school and there you have to really know how to write. And then I got out and began handling cases. You have to write. And then I liked appeals, which is writing. So it all fit together. Oh, that's cool. Um, is it, is, is it, is being an author, almost the same or actually is being a lawyer almost the same as being an author or a screenwriter because you always have to um don't you have to set up a case and kind of like like direct where you want people to go or how you want it to read yeah, I, I think they're different professions but i think there's some good lawyers that have written 
good books because they have really interesting stories. I was about to say, John John Grisham started as a lawyer, correct? That's it. Yeah. That helps. I think that helps. Except you're not trained to do fiction writing. They don't teach us to do fiction writing particularly. They do is to do factual writing based (laughs) on the facts. And sometimes... In fiction is not that at all. It's all character development, plots, pulling all that together. It's just none of that's taught in law school. Wow. They, and so, but it comes in the sense that you learn how to write, and the courts want you to be clear. And they don't want all this flowery language that goes on forever. They really want it clear and simple. So that helps in writing. And so. That's how I got into writing. It's just a continuation of my career because I know I can't practice law all my life, but I can write all my life. And so, yeah, 38 years that, you know, I want to be able to move into something else when I get to the point where, where, you know, I'm not going to be able to practice law forever. But you can write a book forever. Yeah. You can, as long as you can speak, <laughs> you can right. yeah. you don't even really need to have use of your hands. You just, like no. you said, you need to be able to talk. Exactly. <laughs> Edit it. And uh, when I was in the Navy, I joined the Navy. and Thank you for I, your service. Thank yes. you. I, I enjoyed that too. 28 years as a wow. reserve and active duty. And they were always giving me assignments to get up and talk to people writing things so as always do they always I was always allowed to do those kind of things to travel around and speak do PowerPoint briefs things that required that and so that went hand in hand and being in the service the military the this book was the idea of my first book came from when I was in the service and that's how it all transitioned. Actually, let's let's talk about that. Um, how did you come up with the idea? Because you have, you have how many books do you have? Three or four? There's three, and it's a trilogy. Yes, oh, see, okay. that's super cool. Um, and and uh, well, I have two questions. First is how did you come up with your first book? And then the second one is. Did you know it was going to be a trilogy? No. I didn't know it would be a trilogy, but and how I came up with it, you won't believe it. One day I put, you know how you put your name in the internet to find out what shows up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. My name came up in afro.com. What? <laughs> exactly what I was thinking, and I wanted to know what I was doing in there. And I, I searched it, and there was this black journalist, the first credentialed African-American journalist commissioned by the government to go cover World War II in Europe. Wow. He wow. Went to, he was put on a ship in England. He, he went to the Mediterranean. He went into Africa. Then he went into Sicily, covered the ski Tuskegee Airmen. Then he went into Italy. Then he went to England. And then he went into the Normandy invasion. And, uh Covered all, and then all the way to Germany. Wow! And he retired in France. He's very—it's it's very obscure. If you go to Wikipedia and look under the name Ollie Stewart, that's fascinating. They should do a movie about this character. Yeah, that was mad. He's not a character. He's a real man, and he's—he never came. He stayed in and died in in France in 1977. Wow! 
Now, he interviews a man named a private, an African-American private by the name of Perry Cockwell. That's why my name came up in Afro.com. Okay. <laughs> a black soldier who fought on the fields of Normandy um, what, what, had the same name as me. Wow. wow. I discovered that my family name comes from the Normandy area of France. Wow. I married a lady from France, and I have a two-year-old daughter who's half American and half French. So I think all this was somehow tied in. There's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think that. And, uh, and so, so I followed Ollie Stewart's life, and I put this in a book and fictionalized it about two African American soldiers in Alabama. They go to war. One of them accidentally shoots the other, and he's put on trial. And they just thought it was an accident, but the trial blows up, and it starts looking like an intentional act, like a murder. And I don't want to tell you any more about the book. Yeah, this yeah. whole thing blows up in the prosecution's face, and. These black journalists, which are fictionalized, then grapple with how to cover this story, which they don't want to cover. All of which is fictional. It's designed. What time period is it set in? Modern or? 1945, right in. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm hooked. That's that's my favorite period of history is the 40s. Well, and I cover the black. So I use the book really as a partial information tool to track the contributions of the black soldier. These black journalists, there's three of them in the book, they go around looking for so- stories about the black soldier. And I highlight that on a factual basis. Of which, did you know that, you know what the most dangerous mission in World War II was done by African-American soldiers? The most dangerous no. mission, the most dangerous mission of World War II, and this is interesting now, the commemoration of D-Day going on right now, the most dangerous mission ever given to a unit was given to an African-American unit that had never gone into battle. Wow. Do you know that? The most dangerous, you know what that was? These were the men that had to go on the beaches of Omaha and all the others and install what they call the barrage balloons that were designed to stop the planes from attacking them. Oh, wow. All wow. many of them under direct fire in the most difficult circumstances oh my that you can imagine. And it's stunning. And this is a story that's not told. Much. Oh, no. There's no movie about this or no nothing, but there's a pretty good book from a lady in Paris, France, who I met, who wrote about them. Wow. Whoa. Arguably the most difficult mission in the entire World War II was given to an African-American unit that had never gone under fire. Unbelievable. That's it, incredible. It sounds to me, Perry, that, that you are a bit of a historian. Is that correct? I am now. <laughs> I don't think I was before, at least on that subject matter. But, but I think a good writer becomes and maybe uh eric and perry you may agree or maybe not is i think i think once once you start getting into like trying to do time periods writing about time periods or specific uh well i guess a moment in time which would be a time period but you try to like absorb all that you can to to try to understand right to 
Well, it hills it really me all around since it's in the 80s. You know, I was a little kid in that time period. But, yeah, I have been going back watching way too many 80s movies. <laughs> I actually bought a cassette playing Walkman just to make mixtapes to remember the 80s even more. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Where did you find it? <laughs> Amazon. They still make them. A lot of soundtracks today for movies are coming out on cassette. Like yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody is yeah. on cassette right now. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's weird. Oh, but it, it's like a blast from the past. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Barry, tell us, um, how did you... So, in your trilogy, when did you, when did you realize like that this is going to be a part two, even like a part three. And well, it took two years to write the first book, which is 500 pages and has been serialized into a four little mini book illustrated series. But yeah, once that one was over, I couldn't stop with the story. I wanted the soldiers come home. The soldier that shoots the other one, goes to work for the newspaper for the man that covered the trial. They give him a job. And the second book is um, about uh, the, the meaning behind the second book is this man experiences post-traumatic stress syndrome. And so a lot of the things that he reads about and visualizes, he dreams about in his mind and he begins to confuse reality with dreams and that kind of thing because of that scenario so it's a lot of moving parts in the second book and the, the uh, i'll move into the third book is that when it came out this year is the female journalist tatiana is a journalist who covered world war ii also so the third book is about tatiana and all them reading books tatiana reads um mark twain's Joan of Arc, and some of these other Hemingway books, and she falls and hits her head, kind of like Mark Twain in the Connecticut Yankee book. Oh, okay. She begins to dream, or yeah, see, she begins to dream things and confuses reality with dreams. The, oh. the, news, the newspaper is given this mysterious script, or this script put on a play, and the play's called Fake News. <laughs> and it's it's about it's to make fun of what's going on today. It's about the fictional overthrow of the Alabama governor by the deep state because their <laughs> candidate didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> and and so they put on this play that only on the grounds that it's fake that this could never happen. The FBI, the CIA, and all these people would never act like this. And they well, they said, of course they wouldn't act like that because. It's not true. It's fake. <laughs> but what happens is the play takes over and becomes reality in the book, and she becomes Joan of Arc, and she rescues the deposed governor, who's symbolic of Trump. Oh, wow. The liberal journalist realizes there's, a, there's no rule of law. There's a perception of guilt. The Russians have taken over Alabama, and there's a big war, and they're fighting, and all this stuff in her mind. Wow. And she rescues the deposed governor who, but it's not. Don't give away too much, man. Yeah, I want to yeah, read yeah. the book yeah. now. <laughs> actually, actually, this sounds, this sounds 
a cross between Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland. And there was an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation with Riker where he's doing a play, acting in a play, but then he's the real character in the play. Then he goes back to being him playing the character. That's awesome. That's a good analogy. <laughs> you know, how, and, and both so of you question, guys. Can someone, you know, who's hears about the third book, can they just jump into the third book without reading the first two? They can, because I put a long um, intro to get people up to speed, but okay. there's a whole lot of nuances in the third book that apply to the first and second. So if you really read the first and second, the third one would make a lot more sense. I get it. I get it. So it's like, you'll get all you'll, you can get into the third book and enjoy it, but to really get it, get it. You got to read like with anything, you know, you got to read the other two. Exactly. And that's why I think that the future of these, the first book was cut into four little books illustrated. I think I'm going to cut the second one into two books and make that part five and six. I'm going to cut this third one into part seven and eight that will force everybody to have to read it from start to finish nice now where can you pick up uh your um your cereals oh they're okay the all of them are available on amazon but this company of mine which is going to go has a website it's not very big but it's getting better it's going to go live on thursday We'll have all that. And my, this publishing company I set up four years ago was really because I didn't want to give up. I guess I just wanted to keep the rights to the book. I didn't want to give them up. I didn't want to go through the traditional publishing, which takes all the rights and the royalties and that sort exactly. of thing. So, so I have contracts. I've, um, yeah, I began looking for other authors to make contracts with them. I have two. And, um, and then I... I take other authors and and I'm promoting their books, new authors, promoting mine. And then I have a contract, one contract now, the other one, and working on another one. And so I'm literally have real contracts like a traditional. They are getting paid or will. And I and they better, you know, and they are to produce the book. Now, it's a little different because a traditional publisher won't do that. They'll do that with Ernest Hemingway. They'll give him an advance. So I have to be very careful on this because you're testing out a new product. But this is something that I'm I'm trying to develop. New authors, promoting new authors, and then and and that it's it that's what I want to do with this new app. Because I realize, you know, the day's gonna come, I can't go to court forever, but I can do this. Yeah. So what we're going to do is when the show get goes live, your company's webpage, it will be that up. will be the link we put in the description. We won't put the Amazon up next week. We'll put yours up. Okay. That way, you know, we every time we have an author on or a filmmaker or whatnot who has their own way of selling their products, we always tell our listeners, you know, skip the middleman, go right to the source and purchase it, support the artist. Okay, yeah. Some of the authors have that have their own website, so my site will take you directly to their website. So it promotes them and promotes their own website as well. Nice, nice. Now, how did you and and if if you're anything like an independent filmmaker, which I think authors really are, uh, it, it, 
what made you decide or okay actually my first question is um tell us about have you what were some of the the situations that you've had dealt with publishers in the past it sounds like you have not to a great extent i mean i've talked to them and i've met with some and i did try to i did approach some of the traditional ones and i actually had one that you know gave me i mean i've looked at drafts of contracts and they're just way too burdensome and me being an attorney i have i can't even hey everybody eric kasloff here just want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by audible.com Audible.com has more audiobooks than I could count. And they're going to give you a free 30-day trial. All you got to do is click the link in the description or go to the URL audibletrial.com slash something something and you get your very own free audiobook. So, Perry, I'm glad you brought up the traditional publisher because it sounds like you've had your share of not so happy moments um, with these traditional publishers. No, I never really approached them on a real sense at all. I, I did inquire, I, but I did my, all three of my books have music in them and they're all Todd Rundgren songs, but I had to approach them to get license agreements. And I got Simon and Schuster, uh, you know, a big license agreement on to cite some of this World War II information. I had cited some information I wanted to make sure. So I have a, had a license agreement and I worked, you know, got to understand them a little more, but I never really approached them on a, a tradi- on a re- in a real sense because I wanted to be the owner of these. So, and then I did look at some others and then there are self-publishing books, companies that want you to put up money. They call it the vanity press. Yeah. You just pay them and they'll publish. You know, I wasn't going to do that. And I did talk. And then I did look at traditionals. It's very, you have to have an agent. It's very, yeah. it's not easy to do that. And I really didn't, want to pursue that. I guess I didn't want rejection. I wanted to write a book and I wanted it out there and I didn't want somebody saying I couldn't do that. So that's with me too. I'm very much a DIY person when it comes to anything in life. And when you look at it now, a lot of music artists, authors, and all creative types are leaving the traditional realm of finding the middleman. Like I said earlier, now people are just, you know, making their art however they got to go about it. You know, I'm really excited about stuff like this. Exactly. And the same in the book industry, too. There's some significant authors that are just self-publishing their book. You know, they don't need a traditional publisher. You just fix it and it's available online and it's... So you, they've cut out the big guys. I mean, there's advantages pro and con to that, and but it's a big industry. Have you, uh, since you're setting up your, um, well, actually, you've already set up your publishing company. What are some of the things that um, you're doing? Are you doing uh, for uh, for promotion to get to get? And and I I say this because. I'm sure you're you're pulling from your own experiences and putting your own experiences 
obviously as the head of your, your publishing company, um, it, those experiences that, that you've went through and felt, is that something that, that, that you try to get across to like the new uh, authors because they don't really know, right? What's in store. Yeah. And that, when you say publishing company, that implies that there's a big building with a big printer out there printing. That's right. What I do. It's just named a publishing and it's essentially nothing more than uh, creating the book and then it's selling it through Amazon and direct sales as this new website. So I really, I, I set it up, but I didn't begin to uh, work it on a real sense until somebody finally told me, he said, if you have, are working on something and you're not making any money in it, that's not a business. <laughs> that's a hobby. Yeah. You have to run your hobby like a real business. So that's what I've begun to do is turn this into a real company, getting a real contract. Got an author to agree to one. The book's going to come out in September. Then I get mine. And then as far as promoting it, I have uh, we have a there's a PR company that is going to run the website. They do analytics, and we're going to begin promoting it. And and so that's where the future is: is promoting these authors and others. And if I can get the ball rolling, get it, I can get you know more books, etc. Absolutely, that's where the goal is. So yeah, you just help me. It's been in existence four years but i i uh began to think like somebody to run a business you have to have a business plan and you begin marketing and you begin to tr you begin to you know, like you do your law office i have to do it the same way i do my law office you know, it's yeah. really, pretty yeah. much pretty much um i know as a as a filmmaker you know we're always like having to to do three or four jobs just to support you know our our feature film that we're making or our next uh project and but it's so true you know you you really have to look at it because a lot of people just look at it oh i know how to make a movie and there's no kind of business involved and that's not that's not at all the case at all at all if you want to make a movie and just have it sit there that's great and that's fine. But if you want to actually make money and do it. But again, like what books too, you know, technically anyone could write a book. You can just keep it on your laptop and show it to your friends. But then there's the brave people like, you know, Perry and others who right. take the next step and put themselves out there for the world to see. Yeah, so so Perry, here's okay. So this is a good thing. So so for all the 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 people that are listening to the podcast, what would you tell like that that budding creative that is kind of on the fence? He's like, yeah, but you know, I have a good job and this and that, but I really feel I can do my passion. I can write a book. I can. What would you tell those people right now? They want to write a book. They. Uh, they do need to to begin writing, and uh, even even uh, I had I mean this I had to hire, I have to hire an editor, and this editor this last book cost a lot of money. So no matter who you are, your book is going to have to be edited. So you you ought to start writing, and do write your passion. But I'll say this: there's some mar there's tips on the marketing. People do buy a book based on the cover. Uh, you have to know who you're writing. You have to know who am I writing for? Who's my audience? Where is it? What is this book going to do? They do judge a book on its cover. It has to have a snazzy name. 
I yeah. hate it when people say don't judge a book by its cover. No, we all judge by <laughs> its cover. They do. And the better the title, the also, better look the... Look at this. Now, this is a pretty cool cover for a book. That's why I wanted to read it. The cover. Exactly. <laughs> you know, in romance novels, people buy romance novels. Okay, so there's a... Or, or look at the... the they're one of the authors, Sparks, who's written so many of these books. He's writing to an audience that that want that topic so there's a there's a sort of an art to the profession you have to it's like being an attorney you need to be an attorney and where people have a need you're providing a service yeah so if you're providing a service you're filling a need for these people providing it so your book you can write it and put it on your computer but your book needs to satisfy the need of someone yep you're just yep. like the star trek all of those <laughs> Movies, they're providing a service, a need to the fans. Exactly. And another thing I think is knowing your audience. And like, if like, here's the thing. I do not like Jennifer Lopez movies. So I would never go to see a Jennifer Lopez movie, which means I would never write a Jennifer Lopez movie. If I tried to, I would fail miserably. And well, I think, great. Again, That's just with, great. Also, hey, with... <laughs> Yeah, you know, you just show. destroyed you just destroyed our chances of getting Jennifer Lopez yeah. on the show. She's Thank you very she's much. Listening right now, throwing J-Lo, stuff around. I just what want you I to know. To those I, guys? I love you, J Lo. <laughs> I love you, and I want well, you no. to come on. Like I'm saying, like if you're a if you're a family trial attorney, you can't go and do a criminal case because you'll be out of your element. You won't know the ins and outs of it. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And there's, a, and I did this too. I, many attorneys do the same thing. You get out of law school and you do everything that comes in the door, but you'll get your head handed to you on a platter in one court and then you'll do well in the other court. And then over time you'll figure out what you're suited for. But if you try to do it all, you just, you, it doesn't, it doesn't work very well. It's a tough, tough profession when you do that. I think. Yep. Now, would you say that, you know, with understanding story structure, you know, beginning, middle, and end, has your experience as a trial attorney helped you with that? Because, you know, I would assume when you're in court, you know, you need the beginning, middle, and end of your client who you're defending or whatnot. Yeah, when you get into court, you have to have a theme. That's what I mean. A simple okay. theme right off the bat that you, you hit. The, you tell the jury that this case is about this case is about something, uh, just one word, and then you hit them with that, and then you you create your you put the witnesses up there that support all that. So there's an art to trying a case to be very confident. Uh, you're under fire a lot in some intense pressure. With sometimes you have attorneys that are really not trying the case they're trying to destroy the lawyer to keep the lawyer from trying the case uh, you have difficult witness sometimes you have difficult judges sometimes that make it very hard to try a case so it's some you wouldn't believe what goes down down in those courtrooms sometimes and if you're not if you don't like doing that sort of thing you don't you don't need to be going down there is it anything like better call Saul or breaking bad <laughs> Breaking bad. Well, you know, Saul Goodman, is there any, is it anything like that? Because that all I know about lawyers is what I've seen on LA Law and Breaking Bad. That's pretty much my, my knowledge of the, of the law profession. Uh, what about my cousin Vinny? 
Oh, that's like that. You don't have you don't have attorneys who act like the lawyer did. Not that crazy, but you do have judges that act like that. And some of the <laughs> you know they can you can get if you get on the wrong side of them, they can be very. <laughs> not very fun i feel we could do like a whole month's worth of podcast with <laughs> you know. just about rubbing judges the wrong way yes you don't want to do that <laughs> you don't want to be on the wrong side of the law oh, or the wrong side of the judge you don't want to be on the wrong side of the rub <laughs> hey uh hey perry how do you um uh, knowing, knowing how you approach your trial and your cases and how you prepare, do you, do you do the same thing when you write a book? Do you have it all like on paper or in your head or in your computer and then you start writing? Do you have an outline? How does that, like, do you have everything ready to go and you just do the book, essentially? Does that make any sense? Yeah, uh, you you do the same. Some pe- have you ever heard people who mow their lawn? They've tried a lot of lawsuits mowing their lawn. They, no, no. They, they they're mowing the lawn and they're thinking, uh, and in their what they're thinking about <laughs> is how they're going to try that case, oh, start okay, to finish. Okay. What they're going to say, the jury, who they're going to put on. They do a lot of thinking outside of the law office. And one attorney told me he tried many lawsuits while mowing the lawn. <laughs> nice. I, I could I could see how that happens because you go for a walk and you just clear your head and you just start waxing, maxing, and relaxing with yourself. So yeah, right. They decide who they're going to put, what they're going to tell the jury, who they're going to put on first in their mind, and then they put it down on paper and they work. It's simple, same way on the book. But when it comes to writing fiction, you don't know where it's going to end up or what it's about. So I have started. If I have kind of a rough idea of where this book's going to start and where it's going to go, I might start writing it. And you know what? There's another. There's no reason to have writer's block. And they keep talking about writer's block. If you have writer's block, then what you should do is sit down and just create an Excel spreadsheet of start to finish, where this book is going from start to finish. You don't need to write. Just create an outline. That's what I do. I I start with a pen and paper outline, then an index card outline, then back to a paper and pen outline, then I turn my computer on. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's like you're a screenwriter. It's a screenwriter, like, not an author either. It's it's also, let's say, you know, like what Larry was saying about traveling down Route 66. Let's say we wanted to do that. The first thing we would need is a direction, you know, like a GPS or a map so we could plot out our course. Yeah, we could just hop in there and let the road take us where we want, but we didn't factor in how much money we're going to need. You guys didn't factor in. I don't know how to drive, so I can't be behind the wheel. So, you know, we people jump into writing without thinking, you know, I'm just going to sit at the keyboard and everything's going to come out in one stroke. It's going to be great. Then they stare at a blank cursor for two years and they kill themselves because they couldn't do what they wanted. <laughs> right. That's why my first book took two years. I just didn't know how to do it. And, and I, I had a hard time editing. I, I'm somebody that likes to, has a hard time cutting a book back, and you you have to be able to do that. Yeah. And 
it's it's better if you have a start to finish and then start writing. But also notice this, you can do that too, and you'll get middle of the story and you'll realize this is not going anywhere. And so you end up changing it. But at least you have something, a roadmap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I know well, you're going to say something. It's hard to, sometimes you should carry a pen and paper with you wherever you go because you see people down the street and you go, they make me a good character in a book. <laughs> or they yeah. say some really odd things in an elevator. One of my favorite things in the world is walking into, like you said, an elevator or sitting down to eat at a, and the table across from you, you get in the middle of that conversation and it's like, what did I miss? You know, it's like, yeah. And then I had to hide the banana cause there was blood all over it. Like, what, did you, what did I miss? <laughs> that could make a good line in a book, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or the way people dress, look at them. I mean, if you have trouble making a character, just go down the street and look at somebody. That could be yeah. your next character. Wow. I would guess you guys would just have to go to Austin, and I would just have to go to Manhattan for that. Right, right, exactly. Hey, so, Perry, um, before we wrap up, I want to ask, because I know – um, cause I know in all seriousness, um, are you actively wanting or looking for writers uh, or, or authors, I should say authors? Well, I need to go slowly there, but yes, I would be. If you say that and put that on the internet, all of a sudden you get 500 phone calls. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I want to work closely with some people and i'm not interested in getting a large royalties i want to pay them some money and let them get most of the royalties and push them and promote them that's what my what i want to do so i'm not somebody who wants to try to take over all the rights to somebody or anything like that and so i would like to have you know say hey let's say 10 i'd like to have two 10 young or not young new people that want to write a book and I want to work with them. 10 will probably be enough. And we'll just see how I get this company going someday. You know, there'll be more than, That's and I have people that help me with the company. I have a lady that helps with the website, the editing, and I have another editor and I, you know, I have somebody that does the taxes and that thing. So, so all you want people, to grow. Yes. So all you people out there, I know, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to contact, I'm going to contact Perry. I'm going to send him an email. Well, what you need to do is wait so you can start waiting to wait a little more. Then (laughs) you can barrage him with emails. Exactly. Wait, wait, then after you're done waiting, wait a little more. Then after that, (laughs) wait another, you know, few minutes, then email our buddy. (laughs) Right. And, and I, I think that in all seriousness, you know, they'll, they, they'll have, they'll go on and get their traditional publisher after that. But this is a bridge between publishing your own book and because you'll be with a real company with a real contract, you're being paid. That's, then that's, uh, that's big for an independent artist to hear something like that. Um, that will certainly get your creative juices going um, to know that there, there's a, a company like yours, which is yours out there that looks at, at creative people as, as a business as they should be looked at. Because yeah. I think that's what, you know, 
that's what it is. It's a creative business. And yeah, we'll, um, we'll yeah. them and the day they'll be off on their own, you know, having their own website and be big and famous. And then they'll just remember where they got their start. That's right. That's right. That's right. And one will lead to another, Perry, and one will lead to another. You're about to take off, man. You're about to take off. Right. That's right. Well, everybody, we had a great time talking to our buddy Perry. All of his information will be in the description of this audio. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, we, we forgot to mention that at the top, we're not on YouTube anymore, Larry. Oh, that, so, yeah, we, yeah, we, we we're kind of growing up. Yeah, we are completely on Anchor, which, you know, distributes to iTunes and all that other stuff. So, yeah, in the description of this audio podcast, screw YouTube. No, I'm kidding. I love you, YouTube. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. Oh, my God. So you've done that to J-Lo now, and now it's YouTube. What? Where does it end with you, Eric? Yeah, watch this. Watch this. Hey, Sweden, screw you. <laughs> The whole country. The only good thing to come out of Sweden was Swiss rolls. And now they're not coming to your house anymore. <laughs> I know everybody in all seriousness, Perry, thank you so much yes. for coming on the show today. And everyone who's listening, um, go check out, you know, all of Perry's stuff. Order the books when this come when this goes up next week. And just Absolutely. everybody, be excellent to each other. And Eric. Everybody listening, be sure to follow us on Instagram at something something podcast.